Good evening. Please turn with me to Matthew chapter 7. As we close this evening, our, our study of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 7 from verse 24. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. This is God's word. Let's pray. Our Lord in heaven, we, we ask that you'd help us now as we look at your word. Help us to perceive your word in truth and understand it in our hearts. Help us to live by your word. Help us to honor your word as given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. What will matter on the day of judgment? What is the thing that will matter on the final day, the greatest day of human existence? What do you think? You were asked this question. What is it that will matter? What is it that will, that will count for everything? As some people today, when faced with this question, what will matter on the final day? They say nothing will matter because there is no final day. There is no day of judgment. So what are you even talking about? There's no day of judgment to even think of. So there is, no, uh, there is nothing that will matter. And for these people, we're just going forward and our actions have no moral bearing. So I can do whatever I want. I can live in it whichever way. I'll try and live good and well here and there. But there is no thinking, no expectation that how I'm living is building something for a day that will test everything. Others say, no, on the day of judgment, you must have done certain things. So the Muslims will tell you that you must have done the five things that are essential for you to be called uh, a Muslim, one who is submitted to the will of Allah. And if you have not done one of those five things, you will not be safe on that day. Hindus will tell you that, well, it just keeps going on and on, so you can keep improving. You'll you'll die and then you'll come back again. So just do uh, the best you can so that when you come back again, uh, next time you come back and you'll, get, you'll have good karma instead of bad karma. Uh, there is these many ideas that you, we're, just, we're just scrambling forward, trying to do certain things in order that we can have a nicer time on the other side. The Lord Jesus has an answer to this question. This, this little illustration, this story of the one who hears his words and the one The one who hears his words and does them, and the one who hears his words and does not do them, 
is an illustration, a story, trying to paint for us the picture of what exactly is it that will matter on the final day. And he tells us what it is that will matter on the final day. What will matter on the final day is what we have done with his words. So there's two people. And this is not necessarily about people who haven't heard his words. It's for people who have heard his words. There's two people. There's the person who hears Jesus' words and does not live by them. He hears them, does not live by them. Hears them, constantly hears the word of the Lord, does not bend and turn his life to conform to what he is hearing. And then there's the other person who hears the word of the Lord Jesus Christ and bends and turns his life in the direction that the Lord Jesus is saying. And the question is, for all of us, is which of the two people will we be? There's two people. The one who is wise, and you understand what wisdom is. Wisdom in the Bible is defined um, as knowing what is right to do and then doing it. So what is the difference between a wise person and a foolish person? In, particularly in the Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the, in the wisdom literature, and certainly in the New Testament. Well, James tells us that those who are wise are those who actually do what they know is true. So the person who goes to the Word of God, hears what the Word of God says, and then goes and lives as though he has not heard what the Word of God says, that person the Bible calls a fool. James says this in James chapter 1, and he emphasizes it in James chapter 2. It's the same thing here. The Lord Jesus is saying, there's a person who's going to be wise, and the wise person is defined by how they respond to what I'm saying. So we can take it, we can take it a step back and say this. It is wonderful that you are hearing the word of the Lord Jesus. It is wonderful that you pay attention to the word of the, the, word of the Lord Jesus. There's no other person that you ought to be listening to. It's much better to be listening to him. But it's actually quite horrible and destructive to hear the word of the Lord Jesus constantly spoken to you, to hear him and to not do what the Lord Jesus is saying. Notice both of these people in the story. The first guy in verse 24 is the one who's hearing the words and does them. He's building his house. But because he's doing them, he's building his house on a rock. But then notice the second guy in verse 26. He is building his house, so he's busy doing something. But because he's not doing the words of Jesus, he is building his house on the sand. Both of these people are busy. Both of these people, one could say both of these people are putting in equal effort. Right? Do we have a, a, a builder here who can tell us somewhat what, what kind of effort is required to build a house, to set up a structure? So that find a foundation, set up a structure. Uh, I'm not a builder myself, but I imagine it's hard work. Um, both of these people are building, but the only one who is building on sure footing is the one who actually does what Jesus says. And so what will separate at the end, what will separate on the day of judgment is, did you listen to Jesus and do what he said, or did you listen to Jesus and it went out the other ear? I want you to notice two things this evening. Just for our exhortation, I have two things for us to notice regarding this, these, these two parables. Or these two illustrations. 
First, I want you to know the high, notice the high esteem that Jesus has of his own words. The high esteem that Jesus has of his own words. It has been faithfully said that the Lord Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. And only, and that's really true because, in this sense, no one can be so confident about their own words unless something is wrong with them or they're telling the truth, right? And if I told you the kinds of things that the Lord Jesus says about his own words, and I said those things about my own words, you think that I'm a madman, I'm full of myself. Well, yeah, that would end there. There's nothing in me that would make you think I'm Lord. But certainly with the Lord Jesus, we have to end with the fact that he is Lord. Because look at what he's saying here. He's saying, my words are the solid foundation. Did you notice that? Whoever hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. My words are the solid foundation. He's saying, if you listen to what I'm saying to you, and you actually do what I'm saying to you, you will not go wrong. Isn't that, listen to that. If you hear what I'm saying, and you do what I'm saying, I guarantee you, you will not go wrong. If you, if you look online, for example, there's, all the, there's this phenomenon of influencers, right? There's fitness influencers, fitness influencers, food influencers, diet influencers, car paint influencers, whatever there's some people, something where people are trying to do something, there's somebody who's trying to influence people on how they're supposed to do those things. And quite often, there's always somebody who's coming and saying, this person is talking nonsense. There's always someone coming and says, no, but this, what you're saying is not backed up by research. What you're saying, you're just saying things. Like, for example, these, you know, these people who come, keep coming and say, don't you, don't not drink anything that doesn't have lemon in it or don't don't stay away if you eat a piece of meat it is killing you you're creating cancer and that's it like there's always somebody who comes and says something bombastic like that and then somebody else comes and says but this is nonsense here's the research right they're all trying to say this is the way to go but they, they, their words are not sure their words are not solid you cannot bank on their words because they are just people trying to get likes on the internet. I assure you, the Lord Jesus Christ is not like that. The Lord Jesus' words are sure. You can bank on them. And the Lord Jesus himself guarantees the veracity of his words by his very own actions and the power of his life. But it's not just here in this, this illustration where the Lord Jesus talks about his words. The Lord Jesus talks a lot, actually, throughout the Bible about His words. For example, the Lord Jesus assures His hearers in John chapter 7, verse 16, that His words come directly from God. He says this in John 7, verse 16, My teaching is not mine, but His who sent me. He says the same thing in John 8, 26, The one who sent me is true, and I declare to the world, what I've heard from him. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. John 14, verse 10. The word you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. John 14, 24. 
For I have not spoken on my own, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment about what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I speak, therefore, I speak just as the Father has told me. John 12, verse 49 to 50. Jesus not only says that his words come directly from the Father, but he says his words are spirit and life by which a man may live. John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus says this, It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is useless. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Jesus says that of the words that he has spoken, not a single one of them will pass away. Everything that he has spoken will stand the test of eternity. He says this, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Matthew 24, 35, Mark 13, 31, Luke 21, 33. He is so confident in his words, the Lord Jesus that the sending of the Holy Spirit, do you know what the key function of the Holy Spirit is to the disciples particularly? He tells us in John 14, 26, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. In Jesus' mind, his own words are central. His own words are worth repeating. If people were to just live speaking his words, thinking about his words, discussing his words, figuring out his words, trying to live his words, they would have lived a full and rich life. Conversely, the one who ignores his words, the one who does not discuss his words, the one who belittles his words and calls him a teacher among many, according to him, that person will be lost. Because the central theme of the entire scriptures is that the Lord Jesus Christ is not only the word of God, but the words that proceed from his mouth are life and ought to be heeded to. The quality of the Lord Jesus' words can never be overstated. You can never praise the Lord Jesus' words enough. They are trustworthy. They are true. They are solid. You can never doubt what he says. You can only doubt maybe your understanding of what he says. But when he has spoken, he is telling you the only real thing. And so for us, we ought to pay attention to that in our hearts. One application here is to ensure that in our hearts we set apart the word of the Lord Jesus as holy and worth receiving as the words of God. There are are people who want... To appreciate the Lord Jesus. I appreciate him. I appreciate, you know, he's, you know, he's a moral teacher. And he's a great teacher among many. And I appreciate him. And then they take that a step further. When you start pressing them with everything that Jesus says. Then they say, well, well, I appreciate most of what he says. And then you keep telling them everything that Jesus says. And then they say, okay, I appreciate some of what he says. Generally, he teaches love. He doesn't just teach love. He teaches that he came to bring a sword. Do you appreciate that? So the point here is this, is that we, we must set apart the Lord Jesus' words in our hearts because the Lord Jesus' words are the only sure words. 
People will fail you. People will deceive you. Science will change. I'm sure James can tell us about a procedure that was done maybe 10, 15 years ago. Now it's changed the way to do that procedure, that medical procedure. There's a better way. There's always new, something new to learn. But as far as what Jesus says, what he has said, that's the end of the story. That's the first thing for us to think about. Is that the, the, that the Lord Jesus' words are to be held in high esteem because he himself holds his words in high esteem. And now the Lord Jesus says to us that his words on the final day, if we build upon them, if we actually do what he says, we will have safety, life, and stability. There will come all kinds of, of storms. There will come all kinds of things to try and destabilize. But the reality is that if we are building on his words, we will be safe. Now, the thing that he has in his mind, particularly here, remember he's following on from what he said uh, just a few verses ago. You'll remember in verse 21, he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's the thing that he has in his mind. He's, he's closing his entire sermon by staking his claim on this matter, that on the day when people come and make representation in front of me, there are some people whose houses will fall and there are some people whose houses will stand. And what determines whether your house stands or falls on that day is what did you do with my words? There are some, of course, here who say to him, like we saw in verse 21, Lord, Lord. They went around calling him Lord, calling him Lord like this, like that. But they, did ne they never knew him. And he said there, they never did the will of his father who is in heaven. There is, there is no connection between him and them. And so on that day, they will be swept away. They were busy building for many years, building, building, but they were building on the sand because they did not do what he said. I'm interested in digging a little bit more. What could cause that? Think with me for a moment. What could cause a person... To hear the words of the Lord Jesus Christ and not live by them. What could cause that? What's the, what's the root of that? What could cause somebody to keep coming to hear the words of the Lord Jesus? To hear the entirety of the Sermon of the Mount. And hears everything that the Lord Jesus says. And then on the final day, the Lord Jesus says, I never knew you. Because if as much as I spoke to you, you never listened to me. What could cause that? What could cause somebody... To not put into practice, put into action what Jesus says. I have four things here. I'm sure you can think of more. Here's number one. Here's one thing that I think could cause people to not listen to Jesus' words. Listening to other voices. Listening to other voices. You see, as much as the Lord Jesus is speaking and saying, here's the way. Aren't they 300,000 billion trillion other people saying, here's the other way. Right? As much as the Lord Jesus says, I am the way, aren't there others calling themselves the way? As much as the Lord Jesus says, here's a way to pray and approach me, there are others who are saying, here's a way to pray and approach God. As much as the Lord Jesus says, do not be a hypocrite, there are others who are saying, as long as you clean the outside of the cup, you're fine. 
As much as the Lord Jesus is speaking, one speaking to us, there are many other voices. The voices come from all kinds of directions. There's false teachers, whom we spoke about a few verses before. He told us that there are false teachers that will come, and we will know those false prophets. In verse 15, he said, by their fruits. We'll see their lives, and we must not listen to those people. There are certain people who are going to come, and they're going to try and turn us away from what he has said. But it's not just false teachers that are going to come and cause problems and cause us to go astray. There are also philosophers, right? All kinds of philosophers, all kinds of thinkers. The, you know, the, the, the thinkers of the day, the, one, the people who are listened to. All kinds of people who are populists. The people who get the crowd going and get the crowd chanting stuff, getting the crowd thinking in a particular way, that it, it can seep in to cause us all to follow them. There are lots of wise guys, lots of very clever sounding people. You know, with their British accents. They're very clever sounding people who come and attack the thinking that is in the scriptures. The thinking of what Jesus says. And they come and they attack it with very sensible, very logical, very flowery flowery language that will cause you to want to follow. And, And here's a source that's dangerous for you. Loved ones. Loved ones. Have you ever thought why the Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 14 would say something this harsh? He says, if any man wants to become my disciple and does not hate his own mother, brother, sister, father, daughter, husband, wife, he is not fit to be my disciple. Have you ever thought about why would Jesus say something so harsh? Why would he not categorize that in a nicer way? Why does he say, if you want to follow me, sit down and think, will you hate your mother and father and brother and sister? When you compare your love for me to your love for them, will your love for them look like hate in comparison to your love for me? Why is that? It's because of what he said. He said that now that he has come, he has come to bring peace. He's not come to bring peace, but a sword. From now on, there will be mother against father, daughter-in-law against father-in-law, husband against wife. There will be a division because of him. People are going to no longer be united because of him. There's people who before, because they were the same race, they could call each other brothers. But now that Jesus has shown up in the picture, now there's a separation. There's people before who were in the same family, and loved each other, but once Christ comes, now there's a separation because they're no longer walking in the same direction. There's people before who loved each other because they had the same personality, supported the same rugby team, soccer team, they were the same, but now that Jesus has come, He separates you from those whom you were close to. Why? Because those people, unless they repent, will lead you astray. Those people will come with advice. If they are not obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ, you have to decide, I'm going to obey Christ and not them. And those people can come, sometimes, maybe not all the time, but sometimes those people will come with and, and try to turn you away from the Lord Jesus because their Lord is not your Lord. You see, there's many voices that come to us 
and that could cause us to not listen to Jesus' voice. Beware. Where are you being swayed to? Who are the voices in your head? Who are the other people who are slowly but surely discipling you? You know when you're being discipled. Do you, know, do you understand what I mean by discipled? Where somebody is talking to you often and often and you keep saying, you know, I like what you're saying. You know, I like what this guy is saying. And then you end up defending this person in debates. Do you know that? You end up to say, no, but you didn't understand him. He was trying to say this. When you get to that point, you must know you are being discipled by that person. Be very careful that that person does not lead you away from Christ. Be very careful. Well, that's number one. It's listening to other voices that could make us to not trust the words of the Lord. Number two is loving the world. And I want you to see this. Come with me to Luke 21 verse 34. Luke 21 verse 34. Loving the world is another enemy of trusting Christ's words. Of trusting or agreeing with Jesus in his words. Look at what the Lord Jesus says. Luke chapter 21 from verse 34. This is what the Lord says. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day comes upon you like a trap. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down. Do you understand what weighing down means? Take a, take a, a, a string of something and put heavy weights and keep putting more heavy weights, heavy weights, and you keep going further down and further down, becoming shorter and shorter. That's what happens to your heart. Hebrews chapter 12 says the same thing. It says we must rid ourselves of the sin that clings so closely. The point here is this. There are certain things that want to sap you away and make you number and number. Your hearing of what the Lord Jesus is saying was once very clear. But there are certain things that just keep, that makes you number and number to hearing him. Deafer and deafer from hearing him. And then even though now you're hearing what he's saying, your will to do what he's saying is being sapped, sucked away by the cares of this life, by dissipation and drunkenness. What does he mean by dissipation? He's saying that you're so full of the earth that you can't think straight. You're so full of the earth. You're, everything in your mind is about here. You're t- and, and you can't think straight. Everything for you is about politics. You can't think straight. You just always think politics. Issues, everything for you comes down to politics. You can't, you can't think straight any other way. You, the, 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 only, the only lens by which you are able to see the world is through whatever your political leader is telling you. Or maybe for you it's not politics, it's economics. You always think about poverty and money and not having money or having money. That's all. That's it. Your mind is just full of making money, making money, hustling, not hustling, hustling. That's what's what's full of your brain. That's what's in your brain. And now you're dissipated. You're like somebody who can't think straight. You can't can't think clearly. You can't walk straight forward because you are so full of this world. Some of you, it's entertainment. Some of us, we have to be honest, some of us, it could be entertainment. That we're just so full of whatever it is that gets us excited. Those dopamine highs are just, our lives are just so much just about getting that next dopamine high and the next dopamine high such that we can't think straight 
And we're not even sober-minded enough for the sake of our prayers, like Peter tells us. See, friends, we need to watch out for dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. The cares of this life. Caring, thinking too much about this life. You care so much about it that the words of Jesus lose their sparkle. You remember, of course, the story, the famous story of the rich young ruler, don't you? He was just so, he was so bogged down. And it's amazing in that story because he was even sad. He, he could see his problem. My problem is my love of money. And I'm going to forfeit my soul because of it. Isn't that hectic? He could see it. He said, I, I, I want, I've done everything. What must I do? And the Lord Jesus says, no, you haven't done everything. What you love is money. And he couldn't, his, his just, he was just so heavy laden. But this thing was such a big rock in front of him. This love, this, he was so heavy laden. He was so bogged down by the love of wealth and comfort here that he just he didn't know what to do. He couldn't free himself from it. Be very careful of the love of this earth because that will take away from taking, paying attention to what the Lord Jesus has said. Number three. The first two things is listening to other verses. The second thing is loving the world. Number three, not loving Jesus. John 14, verse 23 to 24. You can turn with me there. John 14, verse 23 to 24. The Lord Jesus said this, If anyone loves me, and he, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but of the Father who sent me. What is it that's stopping some people from hearing the word of the Lord Jesus and putting it to practice, they don't love him. Now, this is not possible for the one who is a Christian. Because the one who is a Christian, who is truly born again, that one has, has seen Christ with his mind's eye and loves him completely. He just has to deal with his flesh. But it is possible for the one, particularly the one that we're thinking about, is the one who is not a believer. Because he doesn't love Christ. So you have to be honest. Think about this. Is the, the reason you are not listening to Christ, trusting in Him, believing His words, it's because you have no affinity towards Him. For you, Jesus is just like somebody else. Are you like church? You like interacting with Christian people? But Jesus Himself, there's, there's nothing attractive in Him. Let me tell you, friends. If you find no attraction in Christ, that's your very first and biggest problem. If you find no attraction in Him, if there's nothing in Him that is wholly, rigorously, strongly drawing you near to Him, that's the only problem you have. All the other problems you have are not problems. You need to be reborn so that you can see clearly. In Jesus Christ is life. In Jesus Christ is eternity. In Jesus Christ is truth. In Jesus Christ is both severity and gentleness. Meekness and justice. 
In Jesus Christ is wrath and glory. In Jesus Christ is majesty and love. If you do not see anything attractive in Christ, something is wrong in you. And if you repent today, Christ can, can work in you to help you see Him as He is. You see, the problem is not that there's nothing attractive in Him. is that the lens by which you are looking need to be completely dashed to the ground and you are given new eyes. If you are looking at Christ, studying Him, and you are comparing Him and you just see Him as the same as Muhammad or Shembe or Lekhanyane, you're seeing this guy is just one among many. You are not thinking and seeing clearly. This one stands out. This one's above them all. He's unlike any of them. And you need to bow the knee to Him and ask Him, help me see you as you are. And then number four, finally, not being fully committed. Not being fully committed to Him. Uncle Oscar was apprehensive about his first airplane ride. His friends, eager to hear how it went after he went on his first airplane ride, asked him, hey, did you enjoy the flight? Well, commented Uncle Oscar, it wasn't as bad I thought it would be, but I'll tell you this, I never did put all of my weight down on the plane. Is it taking you a moment? He sat on the plane, but because he didn't trust the plane, he was sitting on the plane while it's flying with him. He's sitting with him. You're still not getting it? No? He's sitting on the plane, but he's not sitting on the plane because he doesn't trust the plane. The plane is moving with him, but he doesn't trust it. Okay, maybe I should, I should have reworded this. It's not, it's not as clear. The point of this illustration that I found on the internet is this. You need to trust him completely. This man is on the plane, but he's not fully trusting the plane. This man is on the plane, but he's expecting that when, the, when something happens, he'll jump up and be ready to, to get off the plane. I don't know what his plan is. You need to trust. Once you get in the plane with the Lord Jesus Christ, trust Him completely. Trust Him. Don't let anything else commit, let, don't let anybody else come and sway you or anything else. Trust Him completely. The Lord Jesus will not have half-hearted trust. Trust Him completely. When you're in the plane, trust Him. Sit. Get comfortable. Because this, one, this is one plane that will never crash. This plane, if you're in it and you entirely trust in it, you will arrive at the destination. It will be like you built your house on the rock. So let me encourage us, even as we've gone through many aspects of the Sermon on the Mount. Let me encourage us to trust in the words of the Lord Jesus that we have heard to ensure that we put them to practice and that we never waver from them. Our reward is waiting us when our Lord returns. Amen. Let's pray. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for your words of a solid rock. Help us to trust you. Increase our faith, said the man. And so we also say, increase our faith. Increase it. Oh Lord, help our unbelief. Help us when we waver. Help us when we doubt. 
Strengthen us and give us grace to trust you because there is nothing wrong in you, nothing faulty. Help us, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. We will end this evening and end our Lord's Day with singing a hymn that is rather appropriate. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Won't you stand with me and let's sing together. Face, I rest on.